Welcome to the Movie Planet Podcast Movie Playground Retro Review Show of the Movie Labyrinth. With Joe. I take a flamethrower to this place. Yeah. You don't know shit. JC. I'm the most wanted man on my island. I know where you get your delusions, laser brain. And Joel. I don't know what we're yelling about. Welcome to the Movie Playground, your source of information for popular movie news. I'm your host, Joe, and with me is the Sarah and Hoggle to my Jareth the Goblin King, JC and Joel. Gentlemen, how are you? I think I'm picturing Joel in sexy ladies' wear. Is that wrong? <laughs> <laughs> what, what the hell was in your beer, man? Wrong is an opinion <laughs> word. Is it? Wait. I'm just saying, if he's, it depends. If, if he, if he's Sarah, who? like, yes. I guess I have to picture him in women's clothing. But I think he has the figure for it. So you're claiming the hoggle? Wait, I am. What? I'm a fat bastard. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> How do I have the figure for ladies' clothes? Because you're the, the sexy one. I've ever seen. Am I? Isn't he the sexy one? I, don't, well, I think I'm sexy. Well, you are sexy, See, but he's like, the sexy one. I feel like my back is too broad for ladies' clothes. I feel like every week we give Joel a moniker like, you should be a comic book hero. You should be the <laughs> sexy one. You should, you <laughs> Thank you, JC. Are you're our you're resident lumberjack. Aren't we, trying to, aren't we trying to shove a square peg in a round hole? I don't know. I, or are we just trying stay to... Stay away from my holes. I was going to yeah. say. Are you claiming that Joel is square? <laughs> hey. <laughs> We're going to head on over to. Uh, we're going to go to recess and talk Labyrinth after this wonderful trailer from 1986 of Labyrinth. TriStar Pictures announces the collaboration of three extraordinary talents Jim Henson, creator of The Muppets, and Dark Crystal. <laughs> Where you going with a head like that? George Lucas, creator of the Star Wars saga. most innovative forces in modern entertainment, David Bowie. <laughs> Together, they will take you into a dazzling world of fantasy and adventure. There's nothing to be afraid of. A world where anything seems possible and nothing is what it seems. Everything I've done, I've done for you. I move the stars with no one. The world of Labyrinth. This week we are discussing the 1986 fantasy Labyrinth. First, we are doing this not because one of us nominated this film. No, we are doing this because a listener requested this. Steve, Thanks. you requested Labyrinth before the Star Wars franchise, and we're finally getting to it. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> Secondly, is this a musical or epic fantasy? Now, we talked about this before. Uh, and I looked up the definition. The definition yes. of a musical is... A play or motion picture in which the storyline is interspersed with or developed by songs, dances, and the like, which this is not. The story is not moved forward or interspersed with this. It is just enhanced by it. So we have come to the conclusion, Labyrinth is an epic fantasy. All right. Uh, I wouldn't say epic. 
<laughs> and we'll get to the dissenting Bastard. in this in a second. Uh, well, I only ask because Don't these worry, are, Steve. I will defend your honor, sir. The, <laughs> these are the categories for the kings of the playground, so it may change how we grade this movie. But now that we know that's an epic fantasy, we have a clear grading idea as to where we should go with this. Is, is it clear? Because I can't see it. Directed by Jim Henson. Starring David Bowie as Jareth the Goblin King. David Bowie's dick as Jareth's uninvited friend. Yeah, really? Jesus, <laughs> it's everywhere. Jennifer Connelly as Sarah. Toby Froud as Toby. And a whole lot of Muppets. That's a lot of Muppets. Uh, a lot of Muppets? A lot of Muppets? I said Muppets. <laughs> a little bit of trivia to start us off with this film. This movie was made for $25 million and was released in the middle of summertime. It only brought in $12.9 million. So just a little more than half. Why can't they just say 13 million? Uh because $900,000 is a lot of money. It is. Yeah, but $100,000 is also a lot of money. All right, fine. Uh, when it opened, the box office for the first weekend was as such. Number 1 was The Karate Kid Part 2, which JC has said is a best one. It's be- it's better than the first one. Yes, yeah, so you can agree or disagree with that however you wish. Number 2 <laughs> is Back to School. Number 3 was Legal Eagles. Never heard of it. And then four and five were movies that opened up at the exact same time. Ruthless People, starring Bette Midler, and Running Scared, starring Billy Crystal. Both of which, 80s babies. People loved them then. Then number six was Top Gun, hanging in there for like the fourth or fifth week. Ferris Bueller was number seven. And then Labyrinth, which opened number eight. Unfortunately, it didn't go any higher than that. And four weeks later, it was bumped out of the top 12 when aliens arrived in theaters and probably destroyed the entire box office. Why would it destroy it? There they was have no... to collect their money somehow. Uh, <laughs> it did come up. It came in a... It, this <laughs> Labyrinth feels like a movie that should have shown up in January. And not a summer release. This was not a summer blockbuster. That's true. Uh, this, this was a Christmas movie. Now, this is a cool little bit. The owl in the title sequence in, is computer generated. And it's the first attempt at photorealistic CGI in a feature film. When I watched it, because I got the the Blu-ray edition, when I watched that, I'm like, oh, that look, oh, this was the 80s. So I went from being like, wow, that's bad CGI to wow, that I'm, I need to remember when this was made. And that was impressive. Yeah. Uh, in the beginning of the iconic magic dance scene, Toby is seen crying while surrounded by numerous goblins. In reality, the baby actor wasn't the least bit scared by any of the puppets and animatronics used. They had to wait until he was tired and wanted to nap after filming the musical number. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Uh, it goes to what we said before about how it's har- directing children, how hard it is. It is. You know? Producer George Lucas chose not to do any interviews during the release of this film to, as to, quote, not steal Jim Henson's thunder, who was at the time one of his best friends until his death. Another moment where George Lucas is a goddamn saint. <laughs> and sad that this is the last movie that Jim Henson ever made. Yes. We encourage you to all look at The Dark Crystal. It is a f- superior movie, I think. What do you think? Yeah, when I tell you my history, it's the same with Dark Crystal. Okay. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter, Jane Krakowski, Yasmeen Bleeth, Sarah Jessica Parker, Mary Stuart Masterson, Laura Dern, Carrie Green, Lily Taylor, Laura San Giacomo, Ali Sheedy, Mia Sarah, and Marissa Tomei all auditioned for the role of Sarah Williams. Krakowski, Sheedy, and Corman were all highly considered for the role alongside Jennifer Connelly, who eventually won the role. So all those people basically passed, and Jennifer took it. Who would you have liked to see in this role? I would have liked in 1986. Do you think they all passed? Because here's the only reason why I'm not entirely sure they all passed. I watched The Making Of. Yeah. Did you watch The Making Of or anything? No, I didn't. I I wasn't going to pay somebody to watch this. (laughs) When I watched The Making Of, 
Apparently, they were going to give it to somebody until they saw Jennifer Conley. And when they saw Jennifer Conley, Jim Henson and George Lucas were so blown away with how well she did, they offered it to her instead of the other person. Well, so that's why I'm not entirely sure all of the others just dropped out. This and this is interesting. You said that George Lucas liked her, liked her acting, right? Yes. Well, he also liked Hayden Christensen's. <laughs> <laughs> and we for, saw how for, well for the, that was. For for those that can't see, Joel just got a very big happy face. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, various music I'm superstars right. were in the running to play Jareth. Michael Jackson was strongly considered. <laughs> <laughs> Prince and Mick Jagger were thought about, too. Now, Jagger, I could see. Jagger makes sense. Ugh. Jim Henson preferred Sting until his kids convinced yeah. him that David Bowie, who had reached his peak of mainstream popularity in 1983 with the Let's Dance album, would be best suited to it. Bowie was keen to make well, a children's movie. He liked the concept and found the script amusing and of more interest to him than many other contemporary special effects movies. Well, I tell you what, Roxanne would have totally changed that dance scene. Had <laughs> <laughs> we gone with Sting, it wouldn't have made it any less uncomfortable, no. but it would have made it a more interesting scene. Uh, what were you going to say, JC? I was just going to uh, I was going to make it a uh, David Bowie dick joke, but it doesn't work <laughs> out. <laughs> well, this one's right up your alley. Video games. Oh, I, I was like, no, that wouldn't fit. In 1986, two video game based two video games based on the movie were released: one in Japan and one in the U.S. and other markets. Labyrinth, the computer game for Apple II and Commodore 64, was released in the West. It was the first graphic adventure game developed by Lucasfilm Games, a company that became LucasArts in the 1990s. In the game, the player has 13 real-time in-game hours to solve the dangerous labyrinth and thwart Jareth's plan. In Japan, Nintendo and Henson Associates, Inc. released a different game simply called Labyrinth for the Famicom system, which was the Super Nintendo, I believe, right? Exactly. Uh, the game was almost entirely in Japanese since it was made exclusively for the Japanese market, and it never got an official Western release, although popular English unofficial fan translations do exist. The game is an action-adventure role-playing game, not unlike Zelda, and it also has a real-time in-game ticking clock like, a, like its Western counterpart. Sorry, the Famicom is not like the Super Nintendo. It was like an early version of Nintendo. Oh, okay. I was thinking of Super Famicom, probably. <laughs> no, because no, there was a Super was... Famicom. Okay. Yeah. I got my wires mixed up. All right. But thanks for that. JC, what is your history with this movie? Do you remember the first time you saw this movie? I do. This was another movie that was recorded. It had been recorded off the TV. And I saw it with my neighbors again. And... I saw it either the same time or the, around the same time that I saw Dark Crystal. So it was one of those, like, we were just going to watch these two movies and watch them back to back. Both movies made no sense to me. I remember... How, what, old were, how old do you think you were? That's the thing, and I don't remember, but I had to have been so young that they just didn't make sense. Okay. But I was young enough that... Uh, my neighbor, who is two years older than me, would have been old enough that I would have thought to enjoy the movie. And uh, I hung out with, with two brothers. One was two, old, or one was two years older than me. Another one was one year younger than me. And they both seemed to love the movie. So I don't know if it was an age thing, but I just, I remember not getting it. Okay. I remember all the scenes. I remember all of the, uh, the puppeteering. And I remember thinking, wow, this looks weird. Wow, this is, like, I just remember thinking, this is stupid. Yeah, I remember not being entertained. I remember just thinking, like, this is weird, and I'm not enjoying this. And so that is my earliest memory of, oh, the Dark Crystal and the Labyrinth. I always thought, like, when people would say those movies, I'm like, 
oh, the weird puppet movies that wasn't Muppets and was stupid. Mm. Like, that's my thought that goes through my head. All right. Joel? Mine's somewhat similar. It was just a, fa- a friend that we knew. They said, this is the best movie ever. And so we sat down and watched Labyrinth. And I don't remember much of it because I think my attention was here and there. So I do remember the hand puppets and mm. this and that. And I just remember watching and be like, I just this isn't my kind of movie and zoning in and out. And so I wasn't, I don't know, my memories with this weren't the best, but I'd also not seen it at a young age. So I feel like if I would have seen it on my own at a young age voluntarily, maybe my history with this would be a little more positive, but it was just one of those, everyone remembers a movie they were kind of forced to watch. And that's never, you just never really enjoy that first experience. And I, and that's, it's funny that you say that because that's kind of how I feel like, now, the other thing I want to add, because this will tie in later to when you ask what we felt after watching it, I remember my sister liking this movie. I remember my sister quoting this movie. And so that also, I'm wondering if this was a movie I was forced to watch because everybody wanted to watch it. And while I'm sitting there watching it, I'm like, where's the pizza? Like, I just, <laughs> I don't care. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> what did you think of the movie, what Joe? The matter, Joe? What was your first experience? Um... Well, okay, it was so long ago, I don't even remember. What I do remember is I grew up on the Muppets. I, I watched the Muppet Show religiously when I was a kid, uh, and when I looked at the movies like The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth as the adult versions of the Muppets. Yes. And so I was kind of like, when I watched those, I felt like an adult watching them. I was like, oh, I'm like one of the big kids, and I'm watching these movies. And I, I, I remember I had, I had The Dark Crystal on tape. Uh, those books on tapes, I memorized it all the way through when I was like eight. And I would do the voices throughout the house as I would re- like, I memorized it and I would do the voices throughout the house. My parents would be like, oh, entertained so much. And I would do the same thing with Labyrinth. I did all the voices and everything. I was doing like that early in my age. And I remember loving it so much. And then I went through this, never touched these films. Again, for another, what, 10, 15 years, it seemed like, even when I was in college. And I think you guys touched on something. That is, you said, you know, you talked to your friend. They were like, oh, you, I love this movie. Labyrinth reminds me of one of those movies that, like Newsies, its fans will protect on high like it is an ivory tower. And yeah. it's because it is so well-loved by those who see it as a cult hit. Yeah. And I remember I was sitting, I, at one point I was like, oh, you got to see Labyrinth. It is amazing. And then I saw it as an adult, and I was like, mm, maybe not so much. We'll get into that later. Yes. We'll get into that later. Uh, now, I've got a question for you guys. For the synopsis, do you want me to just read the whole thing, or do I want to read a paragraph, and then we discuss if our favorite parts or least favorite parts are in it? No, read the whole thing. And it's we'll... going to be the same thing regardless for me. Okay. Ouch. <laughs> okay, here. Again, Steve, I got your back, man. Okay. I like Steve. <laughs> Steve didn't write this movie. <laughs> Okay, here we go. (laughs) Sarah Williams was a teenager with a large imagination and love for fantasy stories, so much so that she enacted her favorite storybook, The Labyrinth, whenever she could. She happened to have been pretending that she was the heroine in her story while wandering in the park near her house when the clock on the nearby City Hall building struck, informing her it was 7 p.m. She realized she was an hour late and needed to get home to watch her baby stepbrother, Toby. After arguing with her stepmother about her tardiness and feeling ignored by her father, Sarah was left alone with her fussy infant brother. Angered that her stepmother had given her brother one of her favorite teddy bears, a tattered toy called Lancelot, 
Sarah shouted into the air for someone to take her away from this awful place. To get Toby to stop crying, she told him the story of how the Goblin King was in love with the girl who was forced to stay at home with the baby, and that he had given her certain powers, but Sarah in no way believed the story could be real. In anger that the child wouldn't stop crying, Sarah did call for the goblins to take her brother. They took Toby away, and Jareth, played by David Bowie, the king of the goblins, gave her an option. She could take her dreams or spend 13 hours in his kingdom, an ever-changing maze called the Labyrinth. If she was able to get to the castle at the center within the specified time, her brother would be spared from becoming a goblin. Sarah was resolved to save her brother, and the king left her to do her task. She immediately met an ancient-looking dwarf with a feisty attitude who showed her how to enter the labyrinth. His name was Hoggle, and he told her not to take anything for granted in that place. She didn't seem to find him very helpful and basically told him to leave. However, eventually she got herself stuck in an oubliette, and the one sent by the Goblin King to rescue her was Hoggle. But Hoggle was beginning to like Sarah, and against the orders, he was given to send her back to the beginning of the labyrinth, having her start all over again and therefore be late. He made the choice to help her get to the center and reach her brother. This did not bode well with Jareth, who in umbrage at Sarah's haughty attitude took three hours of her time away and threatened to send Hoggle to the most horrible place known in the labyrinth for his betrayal, a stinky land of slimy mud called the Bog of Eternal Stench. Then Jareth turned to Sarah and asked her how she was enjoying his labyrinth. When she flippantly said it was a piece of cake, the king sent a machine covered in spinning knives after her and Hoggle, then disappeared. They were able to escape, yet Hoggle got scared by the sound of a howling creature and said he was a friend to no one but himself, leaving Sarah to fend for herself. Sarah forced herself not to be afraid, remembering she had been told things aren't always what they seem in this place. She found Ludo, a giant furry beast and a gentle creature despite his massive size, who became her friend when she saved him from being tortured by a bunch of goblins. But she became separated from Ludo, too, and found herself in a strange forest where she met the Fireys, creatures that were able to dismember themselves and take off their heads. They tried to take off her head, which of course didn't work, but they didn't stop trying to mutilate her, so she threw their heads away. Hoggle came to her rescue, but she didn't know that the Goblin King had threatened that if she had ever kissed him, he would immediately be sent to the bog. This is so f***ing dumb. As soon as her lips touched the dwarf's bald head in a kiss of gratitude for being rescued, the stones beneath them shook and they fell to the bog. Thankfully, they didn't fall into the muck. They found Ludo there and met Sir Didymus, a fox knight with a sheepdog as his steed, who decided to aid Sarah in her quest for her brother. As the castle was not much further, there was hardly anything left to prevent her from reaching Toby in time. Except one thing. The Goblin King had forced something on Hoggle. He was to give Sarah a peach that would make her forget about Toby. And Sarah was hungry, which left Hoggle no no choice but to give the fruit to her. Handing it to her, he left in shame at having to obey the king. By eating the peach, Sarah found herself in a dream, in a ballroom full of masked faces. She wore a beautiful silver gown, and the Goblin King held her tightly in a dance. But she knew there was something she had to do, so she left his arms and broke free of the crystal ball he had placed in her, her in. She awoke in a junkyard, peach in hand, but she still couldn't remember what she was supposed to be doing. <laughs> a goblin woman with a collection of knickknacks on her back led her to a room, her bedroom. Sarah ran to her bed and flopped down onto it, burying her face in the pillow. It had all been just a terrible dream, but it wasn't a dream. 
For as soon as she opened her bedroom door, the goblin woman came in and tried to get her to begin a collection of knickknacks from her room for herself. One of the items happened to be her book of the labyrinth, and she was immediately reminded that she needed to save Toby. Her friends had followed her to the junkyard when she was when she had been trapped in the crystal and pulled her to safety. They quickly hurried to the nearby castle, for she had less than an hour left. They entered the goblin city, which surrounded the castle, and soon found goblins attacking them in hordes. But eventually they made it through the chaos to the castle. The throne room was empty, and a clock on the wall let Sarah know that she had less than five minutes left to reach her brother. The only direction Jareth could have taken Toby was up the stairs, and Sarah went it alone to the concern of her friends. When she reached the room at the top, she had to hold the wall to keep from getting dizzy. This room had many stairways that led to nowhere and walkways between. There was no up or down, and she didn't know which way to go. But the Goblin King made himself known, standing below her, and she gasped when she saw him. He easily walked around the ledge to her, even walked straight through her, trying to intimidate her. With an evil grin, he threw a crystal, and she watched as it bounced across the multiple perspectives of the room, only to land in the hands of her brother, who seemed to be sitting upside down above her. Now that she knew where Toby was, all she had to do was get to him. But that was the whole problem. Toby would crawl somewhere different the second she thought she had, near, she had neared him, and, unlike her, he didn't know he wasn't supposed to be able to defy gravity on the crawl on the ceiling. <laughs> Finally, she found him directly below her, sitting on the floor, dangling his feet over the ledge of a door. Toby was right there, 20 feet below her, and she had no way of getting to him. Sarah didn't know how long this had been taking her, but knew she hardly had any time left. All that she knew was that if she didn't hold Toby in her arms in time, he would never be the same again. She had to save him from becoming a goblin. So, with a gulp and wincing of her face at the thought of how broken her bones would be once she fell to the ground beside him, she jumped. But she didn't hit the floor. In fact, as she kept falling, the rooms were breaking up around her. Finally, her feet hit a floor and she found the Goblin King slowly walking towards her from out of the shadows. He wore all white, his cape of feathers flowing about him as he neared her. She began to state the lines of her story, said which defeat him and finalize her brother's safety. But the king stopped her and offered her dreams to her once again. He even offered himself. Creepy. But her only resolve was to save Toby. So she completed her dialogue and found herself back in her home. The defeated Goblin King flew out the window, banished to live in an owl form. Sarah ran upstairs to ensure that her brother had been returned and found Toby sleeping soundly. She went to her room and began to put away those things that were part of her childhood fantasies. But as she did so, she saw the faces of her friends from the labyrinth staring at her in the mirror. They told her they would always be around if she needed them, and she told them that every now and again in her life, she would. Okay, we've finished the film. JC... What do you think? So I thought it was stupid and I hated it as a kid. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? Watching it. So what's funny is when when we found out we were doing this movie, I went to a local store called McKay's here and I went and, and I'm like, I don't own this. I need to go buy it. And so I'm out there and I literally have two options in front of me. I have a $4.95 DVD version or a $14.95 Blu-ray version. And in my head, I am literally thinking to myself, I hated this movie as a kid. <laughs> I hated it. So I'm going to spend 4.95. But then I think to myself, 
because I didn't. It's three ninety nine on Amazon. I save a dollar. <laughs> but then I thought to myself, wait, no, Joe recommended this movie because when I was buying it, I didn't realize it was a Steve. Yeah, movie. it was a Steve. So sorry, Steve. <laughs> but anyway, now that I know that it was a Steve movie, I feel even better about my decision. Um, I thought to myself, okay, if he's recommending this, there is something I will get out of it. There is something I will enjoy. He does not recommend movies that don't have some bigger reason to them. He liked Masters of the Universe, though. Which is amazing. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so I buy the Blu-ray 1495 version that's 1080p HD with all of the bonus features, which actually, for a movie made in the 1980s, had a lot of bonus features. It really did. Like They had a full making of that was really cool. After watching the movie... I was kind of mad at myself because I loved it. I literally loved it at the end of watching this time. I loved Jennifer Connelly's acting. I thought she was very real. I did not feel like she was an actress. She was supposed to play a 15-year-old girl. She played a girl in that situation, not an actress who would know exactly what to say, exactly how to feel emotion. I almost felt like it was a Jake Lloyd performance, which you joke about, like, who (laughs) George Lucas picks and George Lucas liked her. Jake Lloyd gave an authentic uh, performance. I used used Hayden Christensen. Well, but he also gave an authentic performance for probably what George told him to do. I still hold to that. Hayden Christensen's a very good actor. I think Jennifer Conley did a good job of acting in this role to get you to feel what she was going through to save her brother. Now, to be completely honest, I also think as I was watching this movie, because I hated it so much as a kid watching it this last time, I saw a lot of comparisons between my older sister and Mai's relationship. There were a lot of times where I won't go too psychological or too personal and deep, but there were a lot of times where we just did not see eye to eye and we didn't really want anything to do with each other. But looking back on it, I think she would have been somebody that would have done this to save me and all this stuff. And that's kind of endearing for me to realize, like, you know what? I can get out of this and I can appreciate it because I remember my sister loving this movie. So did my sister love this movie because she would be protective of me and my brother type of deal. But I, for when it was made, it was great. I will fully admit, part of me wonders if do I love it so much because I did watch the making of featurettes, and so I have an appreciation for it, and maybe that's not fair because we are supposed to base these solely off of watching the movie itself, but I can't... I mean, if I was to pick on it, my instant answer is going to be, but that was the nineteen eighty. That was 1983, and they were one of the first movies to try this or to do this, and maybe that's an easy cop-out, but that's just, I don't know. When I, I'll almost be interested to hear what you two say about what you still hate about it today, or if it's just going to simply be like you guys say you don't like that, and I just, I do, I do like that. I don't know. That'll be interesting. Joel, what do I think after watching this film? I think I'm ready for Caddyshack um, next week. (laughs) (laughs) This is, I've talked about in the past, I'm a very much a comedy person, and so if I'm just going to sit down and watch any random movie, and yeah, I prefer it to be comedy, but I think honestly, I can sit down and usually watch an action movie right away too. I just wasn't in the mood to watch this, and I know that I knew that I needed to for the show, so I watched it, and I don't know. And I'm, I can't say 
that my opinion is fact because I know for a fact going into it, I just wasn't in the mood for it. There have been other movies that I've seen in the past that I was not in the mood for. I did not like them at all. And then I watched it later when my mind was a little more open and I enjoyed it more. But just, I don't know. I I just wasn't in the mood for this movie. And I mean, we'll, I can add more when we talk about what worked and what yeah. didn't work. But after I was done watching it, I was happy that I watched it just because it was one of the movies my entire life. I said, this is a movie I think I need to see all the way through. It's one that I knew that I did not pay attention to the first time. And unfortunately, I don't think I paid much attention to it this time. Thursday was just a hard day at work. And so (laughs) I was like, I'm going to go home, watch Labyrinth. And I just think my mind was half in it. But after watching it, I don't know. I'm my tone is what I thought after watching this movie. Okay. uh, uh, I think, and I'm we. It's funny we talked about this pre-show. How JC and his opinion of this literally is the opposite of <laughs> as, as, as 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 opposite as it could be. Uh, he, <laughs> he hated it as a child, and I revered it. He loves it as an adult, and I loathe it. <laughs> <laughs> I and I I think I remember this as a better movie when I was a kid, and it reminds me of when I was an adult. I watched the Ewok movies. I had such great memories as a kid of this movie, but as an adult, I wondered why I spent $3.99 on Amazon for this one. Uh, there's a lot of things that uh, I can appreciate worked in my childhood. And as a kid whose parents were very liberal with the movies that they let me watch, I can understand why my parents were okay with me watching a movie like this at a young age. I could appreciate it for what it was. I understood what was going on in it. Uh, again, my parents, bless them, they they made sure I had a good movie background going up. They they just they they made sure that you know I un- they sat down with me and they explained things to me when I watched things. And through that, you get a a, a knowledge base for it that helps you out when you're a kid. And but here's the thing: when you go for a long time and you revisit those properties, it's hard to remember how you were when you were a kid watching it. And so I think a part of me is lost in that way. I don't have that child inside of me to enjoy this movie for what it is. At least the child I was in 1983. What worked well for? Let's start with the good stuff, okay? Because there is a, there are good things in this movie. JC, what worked well for you in this movie? So the first thing that I loved is actually the opening scene. Because, if I'm being honest... The bird as, flying? No, the... Oh, sorry. Well, yeah. I, I don't know if I'd already said this on the podcast or if I said it off air. When I got the Blu-ray edition, I'm watching the whole, like, CGI thing of the bird, and I'm like, oh, really? wow. It's uh, Jurassic World. Are we still talking about Jurassic World? <laughs> I thought, wow, that's really crappy CGI. But then I realized this is 1983, and that was actually pretty good. No, the opening scene I'm talking about is of... And I, if I'm being honest, as a kid, I would have made fun of these people, and they are the cosplay, the the people that go out and uh, LARP. Yeah, and she was LARPing; she was doing a a real world uh, RPG. Okay, and there she was in this opening scene. And as a kid, because I didn't know what LARPing was as a kid, I couldn't relate to it. I am uber into RPGs now. That is my personality. I am into the fantasy and all that. And so when I watched that, I'm like. That's what I literally in that first scene had this 
That's what she's doing. And See, it was, I thought she was practicing for a, a school play. Uh, yeah, so did I. Okay, maybe. I just I took it her, as her LARPing. Might be both. Because that, she couldn't remember the line, and at the end, she remembers the line at the, at the end of the movie. Yeah, you're right. But that's Spoilers. A, but that's a, <laughs> but that's a whole... <laughs> I already read the synopsis. But that's a Touché. whole book, and let's be honest, that book would probably, if I'm being... If I'm thinking about it, would not have been done in a in a school play or something like that, just because of the content and the darkness of it. Yeah. So no, I very much took it as her LARPing, as her doing a real world RPG. All right. And so from that first scene, I'm like, oh wow, I get that, and it it just made it a whole lot more appreciative uh, of me. Um, then you cut into the scene of the argument with the wicked stepmother, and I start to realize. Oh, and they show you all the spines of the book. This is going to touch on Snow White. This is going to touch on Hansel and Gretel. This is going to touch on all of these classic fairy tales as you watch. And you almost want to look for the symbolism. So the indulted me is now happy because I'm, I'm looking for all that stuff. Um, some of the easy ones, the, 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 the filming tricks, I mean, doing the, the pathways, like, what do you mean? There's openings everywhere. And then you realize, oh, there was an opening there, but it's an optical illusion. And, Oh wow, that's really cool how they filmed that optical illusion with space and everything and and of course the thinking puzzles, but I mean I'm horrible at thinking puzzles until somebody tells me the answer, then I think they're cool. So I can I'd be a cop out to say I like the riddles. Because <laughs> I hate riddles. If I hear a riddle, I just want people to tell me the answer. I cheat. Do you skip um, over that part and go? I, I do. Um, oh, this is the best part. I uh <laughs> I mean it's not the dwarf singing? I did like that part. I, <laughs> I liked it all. It's a good movie. <laughs> I laughed hilariously at the night dog, the one that was defending honor and everything. I mean, Sir Didymus. Sir Didymus. I just laughed at that. I thought that was great. And uh, the other thing that I really, really liked, I think, so my, my three favorite scenes was the opening scene, probably the Sir Didymus scene, well, and the May scene, so four scenes, Sir Didymus. And then my last favorite scene is that MC Escher painting. Like that, that ends whole sequence to me. That's just cool how they shot it. Cool that they did it. And this is all before computers. This is all just with with camera tricks. Yeah. Everything in that movie, other than the opening owl, was a ca- a camera trick. It wasn't CGI. It wasn't computer generated. And that's just. I think that's where I took the cool factor was how, a, a few select scenes. Notice how I'm not saying the storytelling and all that, but a few select scenes and. The just simple way they made the movie really, really stuck with me. I thought that was very good. Joel, what about you? Honestly, the riddles and mind tricks. <laughs> sorry, mind illusions. Mind tricks? <laughs> mind illusions, Michael. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed those. That, that was what made me sit up on my couch, watch the screen. I loved, and maybe that's, maybe that's what it was. I, I wanted more of the... Okay, you need if you go this way or this way. So what would happen? And I guess I wanted to go deeper into that. Yeah, because I love the rocks that looked like Bowie's face, and I didn't oh, yeah, like that was that was a really cool I love trick. That. Yeah, that was very cool. And I didn't I didn't like the hands. I didn't oh, like, when she that felt, creeped you out a little bit? Yeah, I didn't like that at all. As a <laughs> child or an adult, didn't like it. I don't know why. Don't touch me. If a Jennifer uh, Connelly of her age now was falling down, I'd love to audition to be a hand. <laughs> but again, like we talked about before, I don't know if you can make that scene. No, um, I don't know. I liked I liked the riddles, and I liked the idea of having to solve a puzzle, and that was my favorite part. That's what got me. That was that's that was essentially what kept me going in this movie. Uh, that I, and what you just said made me remember something else that I wanted to add that I really liked. 
I liked how she, like her dialogue, I liked how she was saying how she's going to solve things. Yeah. Well, I could just quit. Or I could, like, I liked the outside, or the outside the mind thinking. Right. Like her literally walking through step by step, this is what my brain is thinking. That was awesome for me. But I think I appreciate that because of where I teach and what I know now. And I probably thought, again, that was stupid as a kid. And so I hated it as a kid, but as an adult, I'm like... That's awesome. She is talking through her problems. She is figuring this out yeah. on her own with nobody else helping her. That's amazing to me. Well, I had a middle school math teacher that, for some of us, if we got finished with our work, there was like a weekly enrichment thing, which was a lot of like mind puzzles and things like that. So I really liked where she was standing in front of the red and the blue guard, and she's figuring out, Yes. okay, well, you said this. One of us and, is lying. The other one is right. always telling the truth. <laughs> right. So no matter, even if you said this, that would nullify what they said and this and that. That I love that stuff. So I was really in at the beginning of the movie. Um, but no, I agree with you. It is, it's cool. And I didn't think about her processing through that. And I did like that part a lot. Yeah. Uh, I like the set designs. The set designs were imaginative. Yeah. And it, it's exactly what I would expect out of the head of Jim Henson. <laughs> uh, the Muppets and creatures were outstanding in their design and use. The way they did the fireies uh, is pretty that phenomenal. That was cool. Uh, and it's, I mean, it looks, doesn't look good on screen it now. Not, it has not aged well. No, but, again, but for what it was, it's, it was, it was quite a feat. Uh, I love the use of the riddles and puzzles throughout the movie. I really like the Hensonishness of the Muppets and how he uses them on occasion. When she's, wishing her baby brother away, you see that group of goblins hidden in the closet, and they're all like, shh, 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 she's going to say it. She's going to say it. That's a Henson-ish moment right there. And those moments you only get in Henson movies. Uh, You don't see, I mean, you see a lot of puppet movies out there, but none of them do it as well as this. And that's the thing about Jim Henson. Jim Henson has always done a very good job of bridging adult and child humor. And... Those moments, I mean, like that big Muppet in the back, he's like, hey, what are you guys talking about? Shh, shh, what are you talking for? She's going to say it. I love that mm-hmm. That was really good. Yeah, so those are, the, those are the things I really liked about this. I loved, as a kid, I remember laughing hysterically at the bog of stench because it's all fart sounds. Yeah. And as a kid, that's funny. Farts are funny. And, you know, I wasn't a pet person, so I couldn't get into Sir Didymus, but... I had a big friend that I called Ludo for six months. I remember that. Oh, I love Ludo. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, you, you have to really give it to the direction in having her act or try to act with puppets. Because Frank Oz worked with Mark Hamill working with Yoda. And Mark Hamill, listen, he's, he's great Luke Skywalker. No one's claiming he's going to be, like, the greatest actor on the planet. But... He always claimed it was very difficult to act with a puppet. And you got to give Jennifer Connelly at the age of, what, 15, you said? 14. She 14. was playing a 15-year-old, but she was you got to give her credit. Even, you know, Despite what we may think or differ in opinion here, it is tough to interact with nothing around you. Well, look at That's, Ian McClellan. Oh, wait, we haven't talked about this yet, but I did bring no, it up. No, but you did bring it up Ian, once Ian before. Ian McClellan broke down in tears when he had to... To work in a green screen yeah. with no one else. Like he literally broke down in tears. Yeah. I mean, how many times are you given a line and they go, wait, the puppet's not working. Try again. Wait, the puppet's not working. Try again. And it's funny that you say that because in watching the making of, mm-hmm. whenever they were doing all of the, uh, the, the ball tricks and stuff, that was another person. Yeah. Oh. That was a juggler. 
And they screwed those things up all the time. So they were constantly doing retakes there. Mm-hmm. And Hoggle took five puppeteers. And if and you would get one that was out of sync and they had to redo the whole scene. Yeah. Just because one screwed up. So yeah. His four, right eyebrow is way too high. Try again. It's literally <laughs> something like that. They're yeah. all doing different things. Um, okay. Uh now, because with the F positives, there's got to be some negatives. There's always in su- every movie. I mean, yeah. Civil War has its negatives. <laughs> <laughs> JC, what didn't work for you in the movie? Uh, the the bog of eternal stench. I didn't find it funny <laughs> as a kid, and I, I'm still that no. just that was just juvenile to me. Lakes which is funny because most of your humor is juvenile. <laughs> I know it is. Which is <laughs> that <laughs> is surprising. <laughs> I like the yard. What did you hate? The sphincter lake. <laughs> <laughs> um. The uh, the other thing that that didn't work for me, I didn't like the music. Two eighties, and that's a no. It's not even two eighties. You just never were a Bowie fan. I mean, I'm a Bowie fan. I didn't like this Bowie music. I, I you remind me of the Babe. The Babe with the power, what power? But, power but that's not even a Bowie do song. Do? That's not a Bowie song. That's an old right. phrase. And so it's I like his little like singy spin that he does to it. I like Bowie's voice. I just. I didn't like the music. I couldn't get into it. I couldn't dance to it. In all honesty, full disclosure, I fast forwarded through the music. I literally, I would get, I'd hear like a minute of the song, and I'm like, nope. Do you? And think I had to fast forward through the music. If you hadn't fast forward through the music, do you think that would have changed your opinion of this movie as an adult? You know, maybe. If I, full disclosure, yeah. maybe. But because I could <laughs> fast forward, through well, right? Yeah, I did. So yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to say, uh, the big scene I didn't like was the creepy ballroom scene. Like, that's, yeah, like that was just uncomfortable for me. And I sort of got the idea as watching it. I'm like, he wants her. Was it uncomfortable she, knowing that she was 14 at the time or uncomfortable no, because cause I didn't know any of that when watching the movie? Okay. I was good. I All was right. good. I did not do research before. Well, I was wondering because we don't know Jareth's age. We don't. But clearly in that whole, from the opening scene when they first meet, and then that whole discussion of, I did all this for you, I was doing this for you, I want to be your slave, I'm like, he likes her. Yeah. And that's weird and creepy. And then, like, you watch that scene, and I think my big problem with this scene is if you want to make the point that he loves her, fine, make that point. The ballroom song scene is almost three, maybe four full minutes. <laughs> Too long. Yeah, that's that's what I think is most uncomfortable is, all oh, right, God, I, that's got, horrible. I got it in like 20 seconds. Yeah. So make it quick. Like, make your point, make your artistic motif, and then get out. But all I can picture is David Bowie, his ball sack, <laughs> and this young girl. And it's just... <laughs> Uncomfortable. It's hard to watch. It's incredibly <laughs> uncomfortable to watch. Rest in peace to Bowie's ball sack. <laughs> the second actor in the movie. <laughs> but God, that was oh uncomfortable. My God. <laughs> and there, the only other thing that I I really didn't like, I hated the wrap up. I the, okay. the last thing yeah. because she makes the point of if I need you, I'll call you to to uh, loop. Ludo, Lube? sorry, Ludo and Didymus. <laughs> Lubo is and, something else. <laughs> and Hoggle, sorry. Like, she, and Who then there? she solves the whole puzzle. <laughs> she gets her brother back, and then they're instantly gone. And then all of a sudden, there's a giant party in her room. Like, that last scene was like, 
Man, like you did a good job of like mixing like she was living a fairy tale. She was trying to experience her own fairy tale where she is the heroine of the story. And then at the very end, you made it campy. Yeah. And yes, I know that sounds hypocritical because somebody could say it was campy the whole time. For me, that's when it hit campy was that last scene. So but between what are those like four things? I think those four things are what I did not like. Joel, what kicked you in the honeymaker? Actually, maybe David Bowie's ball sack should just get a hole. His honeymaker. Let's call it what it is. His honeymaker. His honeymaker is just by himself. (laughs) Pooh bear. Um, (laughs) What didn't work? I really did not like that scene you were just talking about. The one at the end? Yeah, like the weird... Birthday David party. Bowie, fourteen. Oh no, yeah, no. The ballroom scene. The ballroom scene. Yeah, I didn't. Gosh, I, I watched that, and that's not even something you just brought up. That I was like, oh yeah, I didn't like that. I watched that last time. I was like, this is too long. Yeah. And in my mind, I said, my I've verified it by saying, okay, she's supposed to be fifteen. She's actually probably twenty twenty one. It's fine. And then you all tell me she's fourteen years old. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Harder to get your head around, huh? Yeah, it was. But I, the and I was talking to Joe before we even started. I was like, man, it was and the, her line reading at the very beginning when she was doing the when she was doing the script for her play or whatever it was. In my mind, I said, okay, she's playing a high schooler as a high schooler or middle schooler would read her lines. But she kept reading her lines like that until the credits rolled. Yeah. And that's what bothered me a little bit. Again, but now that I know that she's 14, I get it a little bit more. But just her line reading, and and you can't, I can't hold, the, hold it against it that it was made in the 80s because I wasn't made in the 80s. And so... <laughs> Thanks, Mom a, and Dad. What do I know? <laughs> but it was a little harder to watch knowing how dated everything was. I think this would be a very good movie now. And again, maybe I had too high of expectations because I wanted more riddles. I wanted more puzzles. And I didn't get that as much as... I really don't know what I got. Maybe I need to watch it again. Full on, no distractions. No, don't go full on. <laughs> it's just awkward. But <laughs> I don't know. Just the lines, that ballroom scene. Not enough. Not enough back and forth banter with the Muppets. I wanted more of that. I wanted That's more true. puzzles. That's true. The the Muppet dialogue was clever, and there wasn't a lot of it because it was the bad. It was the bad lines at the beginning, but then it was the Muppets in the bushes, and I laughed yeah. at that. I was like, "This is really funny. I hope there's more of this." And then she kept talking. And <laughs> it didn't necessarily get better than that. But she they, kept wow. talking. God <laughs> damn, she's the only one in the movie, but she kept talking. But then there was more like the, I love like the tiny fast talking Muppets. Yeah. I think that might be why I like Vince Vaughn movies. It's just only he's a big fast talking Muppet. And, <laughs> and that's funny for me. And, but gosh, I couldn't get behind. I couldn't get behind the story. Yeah, notice how none of us have said a word about the story. That's pretty telling. And maybe it goes back to George Lucas being yeah. like, trust the actors. They know what they're doing. Lines sound great. Well, remember, this was pr- this was directed by Henson, not Lucas. Lucas yeah, this, produced oh, okay. This was a Henson story. I take story. it back. I apologize. Yeah. But also, if, if for me, I mean, I always like seeing really good actors or actresses, seeing what they first started off in. And, you know, Connolly did a couple of movies before this. I don't. I haven't seen any of them, but this is the earliest I've ever seen from her, and it is interesting to see how far she has come as an actress. Uh, she is a phenomenal actress today. 
I still think that her greatest role she ever played was in A Beautiful Mind. Uh, yeah, hands down. No, oh, was that her? Yeah. I like that one. That's it. Yeah, it's a solid, solid film if you're willing to bypass the history. Uh, yeah, really. I got you covered, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, if your main character has to hold the human role for your your audience, then you have to know who your audience is. If your audience is children, you can fudge a little bit of the acting and get away with it. If it's an adult, they're going to call you out on a few things. As a kid, I didn't notice. I, w- I saw the Muppets and everything. This is great. Yeah, okay, girl running around. Show me more Hoggle. As an adult, I, you know, talking to you, I was like, just stop talking, just act. And you, you mentioned something interesting, JC. And that, and as soon as you said it, I thought, oh, that's exactly what I don't like. And that is, she voiced every thought that she had. Yeah. And I think that's probably why I didn't like her acting is because we don't act out all of our thoughts. We don't say all of our thoughts. If we did, we would look you know, a little insane. And we wouldn't, I mean, it, it, it's, I do voice all of my thoughts, but what, but what I, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is if, if you have an actor who's supposed to convey certain things with their face, instead of having to say it, then, you're not surprised by anything. You know what she's yeah. thinking. Yeah. And you, don't, you can't and do it in a movie. Yeah. Yeah. But well, but I liked that she did it in the movie. Right. I liked that. But People you don't like, but it you that also do it don't like life. riddles. No, I don't. And you like, but here's the but thing. But I like the solutions. You like watching people play video games too, though. I do. Yes. Whereas I don't because I don't want to see somebody else do it. I want to do it myself. And when she's talking her way through everything, I sat there and at one point I paused the film and I tried to work it out myself in my head. Okay, I figured it out and then see if I'm right. I did one of those goofy things. So which gate was it? Because I always thought she chose the wrong gate. Was it the blue one or the red one? Well, here's the thing. She didn't choose the wrong gate. It was the And the sh- reason why is because if she'd shown if she had taken the gate that took her straight to Goblin City, she would have been attacked by goblins and never met her friends who would have gotten her through the entire thing properly. That's true. So there was no wrong way. Wasn't it wasn't it the very beginning where he she was gonna go one way and the guy told her he's like, No, no, you go to the other way, and then she walks right. Yeah, and, he says, and the guy's like, Oh, if she oh, went left, she would have ended about. up in that castle. Uh, yeah. That would have been awful. Oh, uh, so that's what yeah. You, yeah. Okay. Uh, for me, the movie felt a little too long. Uh, by the time I got to Goblin City, I wished it was over. It's like an hour 40 minutes, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. It, it, I will agree. It was a long I felt movie. like I'd seen the best parts of this film, and there was nothing more beyond this point that was going to surprise me, wow me, or mesmerize me. And although they tried to bring me back with a gigantic ass robot named Humongo or whatever, I'm sorry. It's pretty tight. Wrong person, because you know my feelings on Pacific Rim. Some tight. songs were good. Rim shot. Dance Baby Dance is a good song, and some were largely forgettable. But I just want to say. If you know that all your actors in Dance Baby Dance, if you know half of them are children dancing around, and you've got David Bowie holding a f***ing toddler dancing around, why are you featuring a costume that has his penis pressed up against it so you can see if he's circumcised or not? Hmm. It was uncomfortable. I, these are things Or do that, we just not remember that's what the 80s was like? I can't remember, because I was, you know, two. Yeah, but <laughs> here's the thing. These are things that, as a director, you should know better about. And although Jim Henson is a great Muppet director, I have to question the decisions he made or whether they were decisions that he made and George Lucas made them instead. Or did David Bowie make them? Or Bowie. Like, I can I can wholly believe that Jim Henson was uncomfortable with the costume, but I bet David Bowie was like, I'm going to wear what I want to wear. And Jim Henson had to just deal with Bowie. Yeah. Uh, so that that's kind of how I feel about this. It's, I mean, I want, I, I felt 
bad watching this because a memory I had as a child was it, it was like glass hitting the ground when I watched, at the end oh, of the movie. That's sad. It was like gla- it was like shit. I'm glad I don't own it. I'll just say that. Don't you hate it when that happens? I do, but I kind of get on with it because I know that's one movie I won't show my children. A lot of movies have done that to me, and most of them star Martin Lawrence. I forgot who it was. I don't know if it was you or if it was JC or Steve that mentioned something about the never-ending story. I like that movie. Okay, but the never-ending story has the four biggest sets of boobs in it. The two golden statues. Oh, yeah. Gigantic tits and big nipples they are you are correct i completely forgot about those and they're blue ones and gold ones there's four sets yeah would you consider that a fantasy an epic fantasy or fantasy it's mine (laughs) (laughs) that was good touche joseph thank you but it's funny because that's another movie i never watched because i didn't want to it was on tv i'll watch a little bit of it i would change the channel i think never ending story in my eyes is on par with labyrinth and that i've watched it recently i hated it but as a kid I watched the shit out of that tape. I also watched the shit of Neverending Story and Neverending Story 2. I loved both of them, and I have watched both recently, and I still love both of them. As an adult, the only part of that movie I can remember is when he has to jump out of the way of the beams. That's the only part. Yeah. Because I had nightmares about that as a kid. I remember that part. I remember when the horse died, which was very emotional. And I remember the first time he met her and thinking, I remember thinking to myself, why can't I meet a girl in my school that looks like that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so who is the audience for this movie? JC, what do you think? LARPers or anyone who loves Dungeons and Dragons? LARPers. Like wow. anybody making that life, like first appearance, the LARPer. Yeah. Anybody anybody who's into uh live action role playing and uh Dungeons and Dragons, this is I mean, this movie was literally made for you because I think that's what the movie is about, is LARPing. Joel? Bowie fans? Yeah. 80s kids. Uh-huh. Not me. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm not saying this is a bad movie by any means. I don't want anyone that's listening anywhere to make think that this is a bad movie. This is just Damn not, you! <laughs> This is just not a movie for me. And I I'm sure I will cuz that's just my nature. There are very few movies that I will not give a second chance. Okay. Green Street Hooligans, I won't watch again. In oh. that as of right now, that's it. I'll let y'all know as they come. But I just, it's, maybe it's just not my type of movie. Mm-hmm. The fantasy, epic, I don't know. But Bowie fans, 80s kids, or honestly anybody that's always thought, do I need to see this? Yeah. It's for them. I yeah. think I think anyone nine and under whose parents are willing to sit down with them and explain things, Yeah, that that's who I see it for. Uh, uh, it's not for adults. Kids are more forgiving of acting when you have pretty things on the screen. Okay, movie report card. Uh, JC? Mine is a C. Uh, this film was made because they wanted to see what puppets could do, not to tell a story. I think had they made a story first and then tried to fit real cool puppeteering into a good story, it would have been another Dark Crystal. So, C for me. For me, I'm going to say C-. minus. I really, again, I like the glass ball tricks, the different puzzles, the Muppet banter, but I could have used more of that. The story didn't grab me first, but I'm also going to say that might be partially my fault. Maybe I wasn't invested in fully watching it. I'll give it a C minus because my C is I will watch it again. Minus being, I don't know when, and I'm not in a rush to watch it again, but I'm not opposed to watching it again. I'm uh, the harshest grader again this week. (laughs) (laughs) I'm giving this a D. And it's, 
it's only because I first of all I think of these movies. If I see it, if I have a kids movie, I have to think to myself because I don't have children. If I did, would I want them to watch this? You can't see it. <laughs> I know that's why I typed. No. It. What did you write? <laughs> he said on, he said on the script. He said Joe D because I'm a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I shall see you fired, damn you! <laughs> uh, I give this. A, I'm giving this a D uh, <laughs> for Dick <laughs> because for many reasons. One is Bowie's dick. <laughs> it does work. Yes. Uh, it's it, again. JC pointed out a couple times, and that is the one thing we never talked about was story. And if all you are is illusions, Michael, illusions, <clears throat> a trick is what a whore does for money. Yes. Uh, <laughs> what are you guys quoting? Arrested Development. Oh, never seen it. If, if, because this isn't a TV podcast. <laughs> if the highlights of your movie are not the story, then what do you have? You have Man. an hour, hour, 45 minute movie where if you set your kid in front of it, how quick are they to get up and walk around? And I'm going to tell you right now, my imaginary son uh, yeah. would be like, when's this over? When's this over? When's it? Put something else in. That being said, I do have an interesting point about Labyrinth. And that is about three years ago when I was teaching eighth grade advanced language arts, I had an honors group. This was down in Florida. I was just eighth grade advanced language arts. It, it was just a lot of words. It, it just came out all at once. <laughs> uh, language arts. So he mouth vomited. At the end of the year, you know how the end of the year is kind of like, okay, a teacher just throw movies in sh- Oh, no, no, of course not. We all teach all the way to the last bell. Oh, no, I just said I don't wait till the end of the year. (laughs) But I remember I I had a group of kids, and I was like, kids, you're going to watch Labyrinth. And I was grading papers. I was doing all their projects. I didn't really pay attention. They were engrossed. And then at the end, I asked them, what'd you like? And they were like, it was really cool to see what you liked when you were a kid. (laughs) But, you know, all right. And maybe this is the point that you're making. Kids love this, like kids. Kids growing kids. up love this movie, but same reason that I'll watch like Black Knight with Martin Lawrence or <laughs> The Crew with every old gangster <laughs> known. I'll watch those now. Bandits with uh, Bruce Willis and Oh Antonio Banderas. No, no, no. That, that was probably a better movie. Oh, that was in, that was Assassins. Ba- Bandits was with Billy Bob Thornton. That's right. And these are movies that I remember telling people when I was little, these are my favorite movies. And I watched them as an adult. I'm like, what was I watching? Because as a kid, you don't care about story. You care about visual entertainment. And Labyrinth is an amazingly visually entertaining movie. And now that we're adults and we look more for storyline, maybe we just don't appreciate it as much. So I think pretty colors. I think overall, JC gave it a C, Joel C minus. I gave it a D because I'm a dick. Uh, if you average out your and my grade, it's a C plus D minus. You push it to the C minus. So it's a C. It's a C, C minus. minus, C minus? It, it is a C minus straight up, just a lit a smidgen below average. Yeah. Uh, which I think is a a healthy place to put it in consensus. Everyone's happy with a below average D. That being said, there. <laughs> it, <laughs> <laughs> that being said, not that. It's all about the audience. God ah, broke a damn blood vessel. <laughs> that, that would make it even more below average. 
Now, there is another category, though, and that is this. We were talking about the film before. Now we're talking about if it was released on Blu-ray. JC, you yes. want to introduce this little part? So we got our buy it, bin it, stream it, borrow it, or forget about it. Now, I already told you mine. I went to a secondhand store, and I bought it, but I didn't like go out looking to buy it, so it's not a buy it. So me, I'm calling it a bin it, because it is sort of like <laughs> I saw it in the bin, and I decided to buy it. So You just I, did a tongue twister. I've been laying bin it. <laughs> I binned it. Peter Pecker picked up the pick poppers. <laughs> and I have potty humor. <laughs> it's a tongue twister. <laughs> and... <laughs> My turn, I guess. <laughs> did you did you tell us what it was? Bennett. Oh. Elaine Bennett. <laughs> um, I give it, if it's possible, I give it a four and a half. I say, if if you've not seen this movie and you've told yourself I need to see this movie, then yes, watch it. You need to die saying I saw the movies I thought that I needed to see, but borrow it from somebody if it's possible. But if you don't have any feelings toward this movie and you're listening and you're hearing about Labyrinth for the first time, forget about it. And I'm going to give this a forget about it with a mind eraser. And that <laughs> not only do you want to forget about it, you want to make sure it never creeps back in your brain again. That being said, you're Ooh, right. Steve. That being right. That being said. <laughs> that being right. Who said? Uh, that being Joe. <laughs> Surely you can't be serious. Don't call me Shirley. There it is. <laughs> that being said, Joel, you made a good point. That is, this is a movie, I think, if you want to see how far puppets have come, Yeah. watch this movie. <laughs> We lost JC again. JC heard he heard come. come. <laughs> <laughs> that is, no, I didn't. I heard. <laughs> but sphincter length was too much. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to see how far puppetry has come in movies. Now I hear it. I didn't hear it the first time. I was laughing just at puppets. <laughs> I was literally just laughing at puppets. You should see this movie, but you should watch it with the dark crystal. Don't. I mean, because the dark crystal is, in my eyes, the mythological world Henson wanted to create. And this was the Lucasized world he created. Yeah. Dark Crystal is in my eyes, a superior movie because it doesn't borrow from anything. It just starts off straight up with here is the mythology. You got to learn it. And it's a, it's a good versus evil movie. Labyrinth is what it is. Story. It didn't have a story there. Get your baby back. Which I want my baby back, baby back, baby back <laughs> ribs. I want my baby Gosh. back, baby back, baby back. Yeah. I still, so I still I think of Austin Powers it. every time. <laughs> Chilies, <laughs> baby back, babe. Well, that's all I got time for today, Movie Planeteers. Next week, we will be reviewing the top movies released in July of all time. This is our bracket show. We put a bracket out there for everybody to fill out, so I'll let you know what the results are of that. Then we'll be doing Point Break 1991, and then following that, a week off, and then we do Caddyshack. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. We'll also, be we'll also be releasing all of our Jurassic Park movies and a special Fallen Kingdom review uh, starring JC, Joel, and myself. Don't forget to pass the word on to your friends about the show. Subscribe on iTunes and help the show get on its feet with a four- or five-star review. Tweet with any questions, comments, theories, and I'll try to fit them into the show next time we're on the air. Send those tweets to at MoviePlanetPod and like us on Facebook and Instagram using the links in the show notes. 
Special thanks to Twisterium and Sound J Music for, for providing all music on the movie show. And thanks for listening to the Movie Planet podcast. And happy movie watching.